So today, in some ways, today is a continuation or an extension of our series, Practicing the Way of Jesus. So we spent about six weeks um, before Easter talking about the, the ways that we are shaped and molded um, as followers of Jesus, the way that our desires are shaped and molded. But it was a very practical, tactile sermon series. So there was specific steps you could take. But as I was reflecting on the, the series and looking, um, looking back, I realized that one of the, the things that undergirds everything we had talked about um, was the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual journey. And that was kind of an assumption that I'd made, but wasn't something that we'd specifically talked about. Um, and so I'd originally had um, another series planned. One of the things you should know is that in churches, um, the, the weeks after Easter are kind of are a bit of a slump time. People are like, I put in my time on Easter Sunday, I volunteered at three separate services, Jesus should be happy with me until June or something like that. So anyway, attendance always drops, and so I thought, I'm going to do something sexy, which will either really make people excited or drive everyone away, and so I was going to do a series on Revelation, um, which could be really fun. Um, maybe pull out a little Tim LaHaye books, I wish we'd all been ready, I don't know, something... <laughs> A little left behind. Funny, I told you this story. I, I, this is just, I'm going off. And I've got a plane to catch in like an hour, so I shouldn't do this. But anyway, uh, the Left Behind movies, um, Kirk Cameron is in the Left Behind movies. I've told this story, yes. But anyway, um, I was in the airport once at LAX, and Kirk Cameron was staring at us, and he was passing out treks for Left Behind 2. Anyway, that was a crazy moment. Okay, let's get back on track. Um, but, I just, but I really just felt moved by the Spirit um, that we should talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And um, in fact, I was talking to some of you this week, and when I told you that I was going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, you got a bit freaked out, and and like, I don't know what I I think about this, because a lot of us are coming from two separate places, and we're all across the spectrum, but there's two primary groups. The one is that you grew up in traditions that never talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, Maybe you grew up Presbyterian, and and, uh, um, for me, I grew up in a church called Church of the Nazarene, and we kind of had roots um, in we used to be the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene, but early on we got freaked out by um, Pentecostalism, and so we like stripped all that away. We never talked about the Spirit again. We're like, that was a bad thing. Let's just forget that ever happened. And, um, and, and so there's this, there, there, there's this one, some of you grew up in churches that never talked about the Spirit, and, and all you know about it is that like there are people on late night TV, guys in white suits who like knock entire rows of people over. Which would be kind of awesome, right? I mean, I'm like, if I had that power, I mean, people aren't engaged enough in my sermon and just like the whole front row over. Um, the other group of people, the other group of people, you grew up in churches that talked about the Spirit, but you got some PTSD because what often happens is that we, we, equate, we equate things or call things of the Spirit that might have absolutely nothing to do. We equate excess that has nothing to do with the Spirit. We equate that with the Spirit. And so some of you, when you heard we're talking about this, the Holy Spirit, you're like, you know what? I left a church because I wanted nothing to do with that anymore. And so I know that we are both coming, we're coming from all sorts of different places. But, but what, I would, what I ask that you do is over the next few weeks, as we explore the role of the Spirit in our lives and, this, and, and in our church, just suspend judgment. Like, just for a few weeks, could you just suspend judgment? At the end of the four weeks, you can go back to your entrenched views that you had previously. But for four weeks, if you could have an open mind. Because the longer I have pastored, the longer I have pastored and been in ministry, I have realized that it is impossible 
to do what Jesus has called us to do. It is impossible to continue this journey for the long term, for the long haul. It is impossible to follow Jesus for your entire life and to finish strong and to finish well without the power of the Spirit in your life. Like, I just believe that. And so I want us just for four weeks just to just suspend judgment, forget all the things in your past, forget all the ideas that have popped into your head, and just re-explore the role of the Spirit. And if, at the end, if you want to just go back to where you were before, that's fine. Now, one of the challenges in exploring the Spirit is, is actually definition, definition, an issue with definition. So, typically, we talk about the Holy Spirit with one of two words. We talk about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Any Holy Ghost tradition people? Like one or two? Um, so, we talk about one of the two words. But both Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost are poor translations of what we find in Scripture because the word spirit or the word that's translated spirit appears over 800 times throughout Scripture. Now, you don't, I know you're not this way, I'm a little less holy. When I think of Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, I think of like Casper the Ghost, right? Kind of like floating around the room and occasionally like settling on people. But that's not, if we look definitionally at the, the idea of spirit, that's not what we find in Scripture. So I, I just want to begin by kind of looking, beginning by looking at the definition of, of spirit that we find in Scripture. So in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scripture, the word that's translated spirit is ruach. And, and ruach simply means a wind, a breath, a violent exaltation, a blast of breath. That's like the definition. It's essentially a wind or a breath. So we read um, in uh, the opening lines of Genesis. So Genesis 1 Beginning with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit, or the ruach, the breath or the wind of God hovered over it. The spirit has a generative nature. The spirit brings forth life. Where there was nothing when the spirit moves, when the wind and the breath of God settles on something, it brings life where there was death. It brings life. It creates where nothing existed before. And that's kind of the image of the Spirit that we see all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. It is a creative force in the universe that brings forth life. Now, in the New Testament, the word that's translated Spirit is pneuma. And pneuma simply means this. It means a current of air, a blast, breath, or strong breeze. And so both the the Old Testament and the New Testament... The definition of spirit really has nothing to do with ghosts or spirits, but it has to do with this wind, this breath, this force, this power that is at work within the universe, this creative force. So we read in John 6, um, the Gospel of John verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing, or the breath of God gives life. The words I have spoken to you The words I've spoken to you, the words that are captured in the scriptures, they are full of the breath and life or the the wind of God. So we believe that in scripture contains, because it contains the the breath of life. We believe that it's the wind in our sails, the thing that keeps us going during the difficult moments of life, during the difficult moments of our spiritual journey. And what I want us to, what I want you to experience as a follower of Jesus is a life that is empowered by the Spirit. I want you to experience the wind of the Spirit at your back. Because so many of us, I was thinking, this is a really bad analogy, but so many of us, we, our spiritual journey feels like 
the people down in the tidal basin, you know, you saw when you went to look at the, uh, the cherry blossoms, who are all out there on the paddle boats, and they're just paddling as fast as they possibly can paddle. And then, and then I went down to, uh, so I saw that, like, we did the whole thing this year because we have a daughter and we took photos of her. And um, that's the only reason my, my trip in 2009 sufficed. But anyway, um, so we went back to the, ti- so we did that, and then we went over to the Potomac. And as I, was, as I was watching on the Potomac, I watched as a sailboat came by, as it glided by, as the wind pulled it. It was so graceful and such ease. So often, our spiritual journey feels like we are on a paddle boat, paddling as fast as we possibly can, and we are just hoping that we can hold on for another moment. But I think a life that is empowered by the Spirit can be more like the wind in our sails. The Spirit is the wind in our sails that carries us along, that continues to keep us moving in the direction that God is calling us. It continues to bring life where there is darkness and decay, where things have started to die. The Spirit enlivens and creates newness. That's the role of the Spirit. And so this, this evening, what I want to do is I want to think of the Spirit as wind, as breath. And then I want to use the framework of, or use wind as a framework to explore um, how the Spirit functions. So there's four things I think we discover in wind. First, wind is unseen. So you feel it, you experience it but you don't see it. God's presence is often the same way. It is something to be felt. It is something to be experienced. It's not something you can touch in the same way with wind. I think so much, so much of our life is lived in a space of mundanity. Right? Everything's kind of this flat level. There, there, nothing is enchanted anymore. Because we figured everything out. We are so smart. We have broken everything down to its smallest part. We can explain everything. But the problem is, is that there are things happening in our universe that are more than the parts. The whole is something greater and bigger. We can't figure it out. And I think the spirit is the same way. It is something that we cannot reduce to its smallest parts. Every time a theologian tries to explain the role of the Spirit or tries to dissect the role of the Spirit, what they end up doing is squelching and killing what is going on there because it's something we can't fully explain. It's something we can't see. It is only something that we can experience. When Jesus left us, he sent the Spirit to be with us. We may not be able to physically reach out and touch Jesus, but the Spirit, the power of Jesus is in our midst. We read in John 14, beginning with verse 16, this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And so as Jesus leaves us, as Jesus leaves us, he leaves us with the Spirit. Now, if you're like me, you are much more comfortable with that which you can explain and that you can see rather than that which is unexplainable and unseeable. Partially, this is like a defect of Washington, D.C. You are in this city typically because you are smarter than everyone else. That's how you got this job. You moved here often, not always, but often you moved here from someplace else because you're ambitious and you're smart. But the problem is that means that you often live in your head. And if your spiritual journey, listen, if your spiritual journey is only in your head, and if, you, if it's only the seen, and you don't move outside your head to the heart, to the unforeseen, you will never experience the full life that God has for you. 
Like, I believe that with all my heart because I am someone who lives in my head. And in my own spiritual journey, what I've realized is that if I only stay in my head, if I only deal with what I can explain and what I can see, I will miss out on some of the beauty of God's universe, on the beauty of following the way of Jesus. And that we find this all the time. The moment we try to break everything down, we miss out on the beauty of the whole. This is, why Christ, this is just a side note, but this is why Christian movies are so terrible because they always have to be about something. It can never be about the beauty, about the art of creating something. They have to like communicate some message, right? And anytime, anytime it has to communicate a message, it has to be about something, it gets reduced. It's just really cheesy. So anyway, that's a... Still talking about left behind, I think. Anyway... Um, <laughs> So even though we can't see it, God's presence and power is all around us, but we have to open ourselves up to that presence, open ourselves up to that power. Something, I, I don't like this language, but it's something we have to tap into. So, you know, cause someone's like, well, isn't the spirit everywhere? Yeah, but, but there are all kinds of things all around us, and we miss out on them because our brain actually trains us to filter out information because we can only see and handle so much. And so part of it is learning just to open ourselves up to the spirit's work in our lives. Number two. Or number three, I don't remember where I'm at. Anyway, next, wind, don't, it doesn't matter. Wind is unpredictable. Wind is unpredictable. Um, we like God to be orderly. We want to put God in a box. We want him to function in a particular way. We, we create denominations we have like 973 different denominations. We create denominations because we have an experience with God and then we try to codify that and turn that into a system. How God has to act and how God has to be in the world. Because we like the idea, even the people who are kind of like into the spirit but kind of weird about the spirit, we like the idea of feeling that there's like something like incantation that we can do to conjure up the spirit of God. But what we discover is God's spirit is unpredictable. The wind is unpredictable. It moves and flows in ways that we could never never imagined. God's spirit works through people we would have never chosen. We cannot control God. We cannot control where the spirit moves and it will always take us by surprise. It'll always take us by surprise. One of my favorite, um, well, I was thinking about this in, in relationship to how Jesus goes about doing miracles. So Jesus often heals people by touching them. And so there's this man who's been blind from birth and he heard that Jesus is on his way. He's really stoked because he now knows that this may be the day where he can see again. And so he, he can maybe even just hear Jesus getting closer and closer. And as he waits, and he can almost feel Jesus' presence as Jesus steps near him. And he's waiting for Jesus. He's been blind since birth. This is the moment. He's been waiting for Jesus. He's waiting for Jesus to reach out and to touch him, to place his, his hands on his eyes or on his forehead Maybe just say a prayer over him and then he'll be able to see because that's how Jesus had healed people in the past. That's how it works. And then Jesus gets to him and he starts playing in the mud and he gets mud and then begins to cake it on this guy's eyes and smear it all around and then tells him, go and wash and you will be able to, you'll be able to see. Now, I probably wouldn't have really thought this because I've been so happy I could see. But then in the afterthought, I'm like, Jesus, why the crap did you put that like toxic mud on my eyes? Do you know what is in this mud? Why couldn't you have just touched me or said a prayer over me. I don't know. The spirit is unpredictable. He moves in ways that we don't know. We cannot put a God in a box. And we want to put God in a box. We want to create an incantation because we want to manipulate the spirit. We want to control God. 
But God cannot be controlled, and he will move in ways that constantly take us by surprise. Number three, or whatever, wherever we are. Number three, that's where we are. There's only four. Wind is powerful. I still remember, um, I still remember the first time um, my, when I was a kid, uh, my dad interviewed uh, for a job in Houston, and we arrived on Saturday morning, um, and, and, and a hurricane came in, a Category 4 made landfall Saturday evening. We were about 45 minutes inland, but I've never seen wind like that before in my life. Like, I mean, it was just snapping trees outside our hotel room. Even though you couldn't see it, it was this force. It was this un- incredible force. And God's spirit is the same way. There is a power to it. Sometimes God's spirit comes in a still small voice. And then other times he hits us and it feels like a ton of bricks has smacked into us. I mean, I know that I've been in spaces where everything was going along normal. Everything was fine. And and maybe it was a worship service or a prayer service. And I am just like going along like this. And then something happens and God's spirit settles and, and I just lose it, right? There's something, it just, the, the power of the Spirit settles on you in a way that you cannot explain. In fact, one of, my, one of my favorite academics is this guy by the name of Walter Wink. Walter Wink is a brilliant theologian. Um, he just died last year. But um, he, uh, he ends up becoming a fairly liberal academic. But the thing that keeps him, the thing that he can't ever get away from his entire life is that he said he, when he was 19 years old in a logging community, as a, as a teenager, he, um, he stayed with a Pentecostal family, and they took him to this ridiculous Pentecostal church, and he said it was the dumbest thing he'd ever been around, and he said, you know, he was always the smartest person in the room his entire life, and now he was in this Pentecostal church, and then he said, one night they invited him to the altar, and he went to the altar, and he said he had an experience where he felt like this overwhelming force just hit him upside the head, and he said his entire life he has never been able to make sense. No matter how much he learned, no matter how smart he was, he keeps coming back to that experience he had at the altar. The Spirit sometimes comes in powerful ways. Charles Finney, did anyone here know who Charles Finney is? One of the leaders of the Great, American, uh, the Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, former um, president of Oberlin College. Um, Finney was a lawyer and an intellectual giant. In fact, he kind of thinks his way into faith. Um, but, but he discovered what many of us do, is that if our, head, or if our faith stays in our head and doesn't move to our heart, we'll not fully discover what God has for us. And so really one of the, 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 the things that, that leads into the Second Great Awakening is this encounter that Finney has with the Spirit. And he writes about this moment this way. He said, The Holy Spirit descended on me in as a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it, it seemed to come in waves and waves. And I love this line of liquid love. I love that. It seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. I love that quote. John Wesley described a similar experience with the Spirit. And some of us are stuck in our heads like Finney. And you need some fresh wind in your sails. You are stuck in your spiritual journey. You are going through the motions. You are trying. You are gritting your teeth. You're trying to continue to follow the way of Jesus. But it feels dead and it feels stale. 
And I think that if you force your spirituality without the power of the Spirit at your back, it will become a drudgery. Next, wind is refreshing. There's nothing better than on a hot summer day when it's still and you are just so hot and the sweat is dripping down your forehead and then a cool breeze comes and it just washes over your body. There's something about being in tune with God's presence that's like a cool summer breeze on a hot summer day or a cool breeze on a hot summer day. You just want it to last forever. Some of us have had those moments. Maybe it's at a worship service or in a prayer service or a church you stepped into. And the moment you cross the threshold, you just, it felt like a, a breath of fresh air. Honestly, this is one of the prayers for our community. It's why we have prayer teams that go around praying over the chairs before you sit in them and even praying for the, on the walls of the building because we want, when you come through the doors of this church, when you step over the threshold, for all of your life you felt like you've been doing it by your own willpower and then you step across that threshold and in that moment we want the weight to be lifted from you and you just to feel like, I don't know what it is but when I walk into this place it just feels good. For the first time in my life, I can just exhale. Because if we're honest with us, so much of our spiritual journey, honest with ourselves, so much of our spiritual journey is us just trying to do better. But we feel that it is a weight on our chest because we can never live up. We need the spirit at our back. And so we want our church to be a place that feels like a breath of fresh air. So where do we start? Number one. Let go of your fears and misperceptions. Just say, look, you know what? I don't have this all figured out. I think the spirit talk is a little weird. But you know what? God, will you reveal yourself to me? Will you, will you, will you show your spirit to me afresh and anew? I'm going to open myself up to what you want to do, even though, to be honest, God, I think it's a bit hokey. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. When we try to figure everything out, we miss the beauty of what God wants to do in and through our life. Number two, lean in or go all in. I told this story a couple nights ago at our leadership night, all in. Um, I I talked about how much I hate humidity and heat, uh, humidity and heat together. Um, And so, Summer months, my wife loves it. She's like, isn't this humidity amazing? And I'm like, no, it's awful. And so, like, we're on our way from the me- our house to the metro, and the whole way I'm on the way to the metro, I am grumbling. This is the worst. I'm not going to live in Washington, D.C. another day. I wonder how quickly we can move to L.A. Like, I'm kind of grumbling. And finally, after 12 years of marriage, I don't know how long. It's been a long time. Charla looks at me and it's like, dude, we're not moving and you need to get used to the heat because this is miserable because I'm tired of you complaining. And I was like, it's impossible. I hate the heat. I'm, I'm wired differently. She's like, you are not wired to hate the heat. That's ridiculous. And, and so finally she said, look, you just need to lean into the heat. You just need to embrace the heat for what it is. Just lean into the heat. Lean into the discomfort. I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So anyway, <laughs> the next day though, I got up and I had to walk to the metro where I was walking somewhere. And it was, it was like in August. And it was unbearably hot. And I was like, okay, I'm going to lean in. So 
I just started walking and I was just so aggravated and I was like, why do I live here? And then I was like, just begin to change my mind. Just like, you know what? I'm going to embrace this heat as a gift. And the further I walked, I began to just enjoy the warmth on me. And then I started thinking about how cold I had been in December and what a gift this heat is. And I still like, I'm not like, I still don't just love the hottest, humid summer days, but I've really learned to appreciate and to love the gift of a warm summer evening, a warm summer day. In the same way, some of us just need to lean into the Spirit, right? It's, it's not something that's going to come naturally to us. It's not even something necessarily that we're going to totally get or understand, but we just need to lean in. Number three, develop an intimate relationship with the Spirit. At the end of Paul's writings, um, Paul often ends his writings with a benediction. So at the end of every service here, we offer a benediction. Almost exclusively, those come from the end of Paul's writings. Um, And at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And then the message translates it this way. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Intimate friendships, they take time to foster. And honestly, a lot of this we can return back to what we looked at in practicing the way of Jesus. Spiritual practices are one of the ways that we develop an intimate friendship with the Spirit. But just, we need to begin to open ourselves up to the Spirit's work in our lives. Just begin to, one of my friends just talked about, he just for a long time just prayed, God, would you reveal yourself to me in a fresh and a new way? And just begin to create space for that intimacy. And my hope is that as we go through the series and as we move on, is that you'll begin to experience the fullness of life with Christ that is only possible if you move from the realm of your head into the realm of the heart or the realm of experience. Faith is best when it is balanced. So there's something called the quadrilateral, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and it it says this, that, that scripture is foundational to our faith. It is the thing that shapes and forms who we are. But then tied to that is history or tradition, right? The history of the church. So for better or for worse, we are informed by the past 2,000 years of the church. Some of us are reacting against it, we're correcting, but better or worse, we are tied to the tradition of the church. So scripture and tradition, and then finally reason, right? We shouldn't be dumb. We should be thoughtful about our faith. But the fourth thing is experience. There has to be room for something that we cannot explain. There has to be room for the unseen and the unexplainable in our faith. They have to go together. So this, this, this evening, as we, um, as we move into communion, what we're going to do is um, we're going to do something slightly different, and we're just going to go directly into communion. Um, theologians have tried to explain this meal for a long time. And it seems like every time they try to explain it, they end up just reducing it. And, it, and there's something more that's happening in this table more than just flour and water and grape juice. The church for 2,000 years, the tradition of the church has said this, no matter how much theologians ramble on and on, they said it's a mystery. What takes place in this space and at this table is a mystery that we will never fully understand. 
But what we do believe is that it's a space where heaven and earth come together. It's a thin space. People always want to explain the Holy Spirit. People always want to explain the Trinity. And as I was, as I was working through and finishing up the end of this sermon, as I was thinking about heading to this table, I just felt that God wanted us to know something. That God loves you more than you can ever possibly imagine. That there is nothing you can do to cause God to love you any less. And the way that you discover the value of something is by the price that someone is willing to pay for it. And what we believe as Christians is that God was willing to empty himself of everything and enter into creation in order to be in relationship with us. And we believe that Jesus provides redemption. The stories that have been told over our lives do not have the final word. New life is possible. A new hope, a new future. But we also believe that God's power, God's spirit resides with us. That is accessible to us. That in the moments of life where it feels that we cannot go on another moment. In the moment when we feel we can't continue in the job, a job or relationship seems completely dead and beyond hope. Or whatever that space might be. We believe that God's spirit is there bringing new life. And in this table, as we come every single week, we are reminded of all of those elements. We're reminded that God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that Jesus walked among us and provided our liberation and our salvation, and that in this space, God's spirit rests on this table, and these gifts of bread and wine, these ordinary material gifts, become a means of grace. Final thought. There's this word that we sometimes use where we talk about being in the doldrums. And um, I'd always just kind of used the word and never really thought about it. It just seemed like a kind of a dead space. But apparently the word doldrums is actually a nautical term which comes from, there's a spot near, there's a strip near the equator where the northern winds, winds from the northern hemisphere and winds from the southern hemisphere come together. And when they come together, they cross each other out. And before there were powered engines or powered boats, If you were to sail into the doldrum, you would never get out alive. You would be stuck. And I think some of us in our spiritual journey, we have sailed into the doldrums. And no matter how hard we try, we seem stuck. And so today, as you come to receive the bread and the wine, I have no... I have no magic incantation. Nothing you can do to automatically just help you to experience God's power and it's all going to be okay. All I want you to do as you come forward to receive this mystery, this gift of bread and wine, is just to pray, God, would you reveal yourself to me? God, I feel a deadness. I feel the doldrums in my own spiritual journey and I am desperate for your power, for your, for your breath, for your wind in my sails. And just continue to pray that prayer over and over again. And God is faithful and just. God will will answer it. I guarantee you. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in in an upper room and and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body.
broken for you. Likewise, when the supper was finished, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he lifted it, saying, This is the blood of my new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. Would our servers please come as we, as we pray? Almighty God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be poured out in these gifts of bread and wine. That today as we come forward to receive these gifts, as we come forward to this thin space where heaven and earth meet, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to us in a fresh and a new way. May we have an experience with your Spirit, an experience with your power that would be a breath of fresh air, a wind in our sails. Father, we need you. In Jesus' name.